Good morning. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Amen. Amen. All right, if you open your bulletins, we'll start there. I just want to review. I've got it listed here for you um, just from last week. I mean, the reason, these are, I keep reviewing these, I know the, these, but these are two of the greatest truths in the Bible, and I just want to make sure you all get these and really understand them. Uh, but if you look in your bulletin there, uh, I've summarized the teaching from last week, six, Romans six fifteen through 23. And let's just read these through together um, here that's in the bulletin. It says, Romans 16 says, Because we are not under the law but under grace, is it okay for us to continue to sin? What does the church say? By no means. Absolutely not. No, that's not the point of this, that we're under grace. Yes, not under the law, but it does not entitle us to continue in a sinful patterns in our life. Romans 6.16 says, look at this, it says, How we invest our lives reveals who our master is. What we say is irrelevant when, when compared to how we live. We talked about there's only two masters that we can serve, Satan or Jesus Christ. One, one leads to sin and death, and the other leads to righteousness and life, eternal life, abundant life. And the challenge with that was to examine your life, examine your own life to be sure who your master is, which master you're serving. You know, I was going to even say that, that uh, come on in. We're open. So I was going to say even, you know, it can be deceiving sometimes. There was this man I knew who was a very successful business guy, and he invested his whole life into his business. You know, he had the big office. It was a Fortune 500 company. And at the end of his life, I can remember this, he retired to Florida, and he was walking along the beach, and he stopped and he said, you know what, I don't know who I am. You see, because his identity was all wrapped up into his, his work, that was the master he served. Was, he was a workaholic. He served, the, his God was work. And at the end of his life, he was 67 years old, walking along a beach going, I don't know who I am. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's lots of ways we can get deceived into serving different forms of the master. And we have to make sure that we're serving the one true master in Jesus Christ, no matter what we do. All right, uh, Romans 6, 19. It says here, if we continue, if we can, wait, I missed... I missed 18, 17, 18. It says, For all believe we have been set free from our slavery to sin and now become slaves to righteousness. This new creation life comes from the desire of our heart, obedience from our heart. We talked about this. It isn't a legalistic faith that we serve. It's a faith that comes from our heart. It comes from a love for God and our love for our brothers and sisters and really a love for the lost. And then uh, it continues here that uh, 690, if we continue to serve Satan, and sin, we will continue on the downward spiral leads to death, spiritual, physical, and eternal death. But if we are born again, we can then live our life as slaves to righteousness, the upward spiral, which leads to life abundant, spiritual, and eternal. Amen? And the, and the thing, remember, I challenge you with this is that uh, I know the world uses addicted. You know, a lot of guys say, I was addicted to alcohol, I was addicted to drugs. Really, what they're really saying in the biblical term is they were a slave to a certain sin type in their life, right? That's what they're saying. They were slaves. And uh, we'll talk about a little bit more in chapter 7 of Romans. But the, the reality is, this is the good news, is that you can become slaves to righteousness. You can become addicted to righteousness. That's the upward spiral. And I'm telling you, you know, I served, uh, I served the evil master for 32 years of my life. I was addicted to sin. I know what that looks like. But I've been serving our Lord Jesus Christ, for over 20 years, and I know what it's, what it's like to be addicted to righteousness, and I'm telling you, the two worlds don't even compare. 
but they don't even compare. You, you, you think that you've got a good life, you've got freedom as you embrace sin in your life. I'm telling you, there's no freedom in being a slave to sin. You're, you're a, a slave to the evil one who manipulates, deceives, and leads you astray. When you start serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and start becoming a slave to righteousness, you will find out what life was really intended to be. And it's the upward spiral. And every day gets better. Does it get better physically and and you're, you're all going to be driving Rolls Royces? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you get changed better and better, more and more to the image of Christ, and that is the life you were designed to live. Now, you can continue to believe the lies of the evil one and continue to seek uh, pleasures from the world and satisfaction from, the, from Satan and his world system, and I'm telling you, you're going to end up starving to death because it'll never meet the needs in your life. So we talked about that last week. And the last verse here, 6, 20 and 22, says, what fruit did your life of sin produce? I mean, come on. Any of you that lived in a a sinful life, you know what that life produced. You know, and it's amazing we get deceived over and over and over again. We keep serving that master, expecting a different outcome, right? But when we get done, we we find out it's, it's the same kind of fruit. It's dead, it's rotten, it stinks, and it doesn't provide any lasting satisfaction in our lives. Amen? And, and the proof of slavery, I've got to hit this one more time, the proof of slavery is that even when we know the outcome is going to be bad, come on now, even though we know the outcome is going to be bad, has you ever gone back to that same sin even though you knew at the end of it it was going to result in tragedies in your life? Come on, haven't you done that? That's a picture of slavery. Because you continued to go back to that sin even though you knew the outcome was going to result in losing your job or having... Maybe uh, your, your wife kicking you out of the house or w- whatever it was, the consequences, you still went back to that sin even though you knew the disaster. That's a picture of slavery. And then what fruit does a life of righteousness produce? For those that are born-again believers here today and have been engaged in following Jesus, you know the fruit is incomparable to the fruit we used to produce. Of course, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes from within us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those fruits come, that's a fruit that comes in us when we get born again. But we also know that we can produce fruit like we did on Wednesday night. I mean, I, you know, those things are unbelievable to me to sit there with lost people. I don't care, some of them were drunk and this and that, but they showed up. We get to sit and talk with them. We get to talk to them about Jesus Christ. You know, yeah, I could have been home on my own deck being selfish, grilling for my own family, right? I could have been doing that. Any of us could have that were there. But instead, we said, no, we're going to go do this. We're going to pour back into those that are lost and meet with them. That is the fruit of, the, that's the fruit of God of a righteous life. Anybody that was there, were you blessed? Amen. It was a blessing. What a way to spend a Wednesday night. All right. Let's move on to Romans chapter 7. And I, you know, I know I said this last week and probably the last five years I've been here. This is... <laughs> This is really good. good. The word is really powerful. Uh, the text we're going to look at today is powerful, and uh, I pray it changes your life. So if you would open your Bibles, we're going to go through Romans 7, 1 through 6. Open your Bibles to chapter 7, and our, and our brother Jimmy's going to open the word for us. If you'd please stand in honoring of God's word. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, 
By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. So this, this text, let me get rid of this. This text is really a bridge text between chapter 6, what we've been studying, and chapter 7. It's, it's, it kind of bridges the two truths together here. So what we had been studying in chapter 6 is that we are dead to sin, right? We're dead to sin and alive to Christ. We, we learn very clearly that our relationship to sin has been changed forever, those that are born again, right? Sin, there's no more penalty of sin that, that can be put upon us if we're born again believers. That's all been paid through by Jesus Christ. Amen? And there's no more power of sin over those who believe. And I, I'll say this to you again, the devil's going to keep coming at you and tempting you, but if you're a born-again believer, you now have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to say no. You didn't have that power before you were born again. But now that you're born again, you can say no to the temptations of the world, no to the temptations of sin, and that's what it means to die to sin. Now the bridging here is now we, we ended with that we're now, it says we're dead to the law. That's the title of our topic today. We're dead to the law. And, and he's bridging it to show you what that looks like and what that means. You good with that? Do you want to be dead to the law? Yeah, you do want to be dead to the law. You do want to be dead to the law. Trust me. So we'll look at that today. You know, and, and you have to picture the, the readers of this Roman letter. I mean, just hang with me here for a minute. But they get this letter in Rome and they're like, okay, Paul, I mean, now you're, now you, can you say we're dead to sin? Okay, that's really good news, but now you're saying we're dead to the law. And especially the Jews that were receiving this letter, it's like, well, why did God ever give us the law? If you're saying we're dead to the law. If the law serves no purpose, what, what is the law all about? Wouldn't that be a logical question? Especially for a Jew that was born and raised under the law. So he, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, uh, predicts what they're going to be saying, so that's why we go into this next teaching about dead to the law. Okay, let's look at the first verse here. We'll work our way through all six, Lord willing, this morning. And I pray you will be changed by the power of the Word through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray first. Father in heaven, we're just uh, we're grateful for this time. We gather as a body of believers. We're grateful for this opportunity to sit under your living Word. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would uh, mightily work in this place, working in the hearts of those that are not saved, that they would be saved and those that are saved, that they would be encouraged in their faith. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so look at this first verse here. It says, uh, Do you know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over some, 
someone only as long as that person lives. So, Paul, this is a this is a very warm this is a very warm greeting here. He says, you know, do you know, brothers and sisters? He's saying this. What I'm going to share with you is very common knowledge. This is very easy for you to grasp. This isn't a difficult truth, is what he's saying to him. And he, and the it's a warm statement because he, he's obviously talking to brothers and sisters in the faith. So he says it's very common, a very easy truth to comprehend, and it is for us too. And, but look what he says here, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Now, this word law here in the, in the Greek is not the Mosaic law. It's not just the law that the Jews would be familiar with. It's a generic term for law. Now, stay with me on this. So the Jews, of course, when he says you know what it is to be under the law, the Jews would know what that means, right? They were raised under the Mosaic law. Since they were little children, they'd been instructed by the law. They had all the Jewish feasts that they had to observe. Really, their whole culture was centered on the, on, the, on the law. So they knew what it was to live under the law. In fact, if you look at their calendar, the feasts are spread out where they have to constantly be focused on the law because that's what their whole culture is involved with. Right? So they knew what it was to be under the law. But I, I believe the reason they use the generic word law here is because the Roman Gentiles also knew what it was to be under the law, but they were under the civil law of Rome. I mean, the Roman Empire prided itself on the legal system they had and the laws they had throughout the Roman Empire. That's why the military was spread out. So all the people under the Roman Empire had to obey the Roman law or pay the consequences. It's called the jure. It's the justice of the Roman Empire. That was, they all knew what that was like. And we know even from Paul, right? Paul in the New Testament, as a Roman citizen, he used that Roman law for his own benefit a number of times so he wouldn't be flogged, so he could get a, a, a trial before the Caesar and all those things. So we know that the Roman Christians that would be receiving this letter in Rome would also know what it is to be under the law. Do you see that? That's why I think there's a generic word law here. It's not just for the Jews. Now, so he says, you know what it's like to be under the law, and then he says to them, the, here's the, the main principle, the main teaching Paul's going to give us today through the Word of God is that, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. Now, we all understand that, don't we? It's not complicated. Let's, I mean, if, if you break a law and then you die... What consequences will you face for breaking that law? None. Remember we talked about what does it mean to be dead to sin. If someone's dead, how can they be tempted anymore? No one can be tempted if they're dead. Well, no one can be, face any consequences or condemnation of the law if they're dead. Does that make sense? So that's what he's saying. It's very, very easy to understand. You know, I think about, you know, we hear about all these uh, murders that go into the movie theaters, the schools, the army bases, right? They go in and they shoot all these innocent people and then what's the last, who's the last person they shoot? They shoot themselves. So there's no consequences for the law, under the law by them. So that's what he's saying. He said there's, the law has authority over only those that are living, not those that are dead. So look at this now. So then he gives them a beautiful illustration here. He says, I want to make sure you get this. So he says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. 
So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, a couple things here. One is I just, I've seen some pastors, some commentaries try to take these verses to teach about marriage. These verses are not intended to teach about marriage. If you want to know what the Bible teaches about marriage, you have to go into the context where it is teaching about marriage. He's just using this as an illustration. So this isn't an all-inclusive description of what marriage is and what it isn't. Okay, It doesn't make sense. It's not the right setting. You have to go to 1 Corinthians 7 or Ephesians 5 if you want to see what the Word of God and other places, what the Word of God teaches about marriage. But So it's just an illustration, so don't overinterpret it because he's trying to show what it is that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Everybody doing okay? Got a little history here, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to some good application here as we work through it. So let me just set this up a little bit. Look up here for a minute, some verses, just to kind of give you a sense of what Paul's referring to. Uh, Matthew 19, 3 and 9 says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. That's Jesus they were testing. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, as a, another side comment here, we hear a lot of professing Christians saying that the, the book of Genesis is misinterpreted, that it's more of a, a uh, it's not a literal book, it's, it's poetic, and that we're not supposed to look at, look at that in a, in a literal sense. But look at what Jesus does right here. He goes back to Genesis and says, he's quoting from Genesis here, that, at the beginning, the creator made male and female. Do you see that? So, you know, what's interesting is all these scholars are saying we shouldn't take the book of Genesis literal. Well, Jesus did. So I think we should too. That's a side comment. But So we see the purpose of marriage is to be, bring one together. And then look here. This was the law that, that they're referring to here. If, if man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. We'd have population problems if that was true in our culture. By the way, you know, the Romans had similar laws. In fact, they were a little bit more brutal that if a man was caught in adultery, they would mutilate the man. So they had laws similar in regard to adultery. So that's the, I just want you to get the sense. He's talking about when the two are together, if one dies, then the other one is free. They're not under the law anymore. Now let me just show you one more thing and then we'll get back to the text. Can we do that? Yeah, right, Leon? All right. Watch this. I want to show you this. The, the reason I want to show you this is I want to show you that throughout the Bible, there's a continuing pattern of God describing our relationship with God as a marriage. Okay? Throughout the Bible, it's always talking about a marriage. You know, we're, we're the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. You see, that, and that's the, that's the picture they use throughout Scripture. I'll just give you a few illustrations of that. If anyone is ashamed, uh, Mark 8.38 says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
So here, what, he's, what we see reference to is the lost world is considered adulterous, just like in a marriage situation. The whole lost world is considered to be adulterous to God. God intended us all to be the bride and him to be the bridegroom. So anybody that is not saved or not a believer, they're considered adulterous. They're committing adultery because they are worshiping another God besides Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Spirit. Now look at this one. Here's from the Old Testament, how, how God viewed his relationship to Israel. It says, I, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister, Judah, had no fear. So she also went out and committed adultery. Because of Israel's immorality, mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. Do you see all the language related to marriage in there? Faithless, certificate of divorce, adultery with stone and wood. Just so you know, idolatry equals adultery. Idolatry equals adultery to God. One more. I love this one. We studied this when we went through the Gospel of John as a church. But it said, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Do you remember that setting of John? That's John the Baptist. And his, his disciples were like, well, what's going on here? Jesus is baptizing more and people are starting to, our disciples are leaving us and following following Jesus instead of John the Baptist, right? And what does John the Baptist say? He said, listen, I'm just, I'm going to paraphrase here, I'm just the best man. I'm just the best man in the wedding. The bride has come, and I've introduced him, the, the bridegroom has come, I've introduced him to the bride. My job is done. Do you see that? So the bridegroom and the bride throughout Scripture. And it's important as we look at this. I just, that's, you, have to, you have to have that setting in your mind that that's what the Word continually teaches as you look at this particular text we're looking at today. All right, back to the text. So it would make sense here, he says, that if a husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay, let's go to the application now. So here, here he applies it to, to the life of the law, our, our relationship to the law as believers. It says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, do you see this? It says died. It, it, not dying, but it's a completed work by God. So for every born-again believer, anyone that is born again, surrendered life to Jesus Christ, they have died to the law. It's a finished work at the moment of salvation. Now, we talked about this when we talked about sin. Let me just remind you what I'm talking about here is that it's when we died to sin, we died till the penalty and power of sin over our life is still sin still present in this world? Yes. Do we still sin? Yes. But the penalty and power of sin for every believer was completely taken care of. The same thing with the law. When we die to the law, that means that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law. We're no longer under the guilt of the law. Do you see that? Let, let me paint this picture for you so you can see the, the Jewish people. I mean, the Jewish people who were under the law, every year they'd have to take their little blemishless lamb, their, their perfect lamb, to be sacrificed at the Temple Mount, right? So they would take that lamb 
to, to, be, to shed the innocent blood of that lamb as a, as a covering for their sins. Right? Can you picture that? So what would happen as that person or that family left the Temple Mount and were heading back to their home? They, they might have sinned right then and there, right? Probably got an, I mean, if it's like my family, they got an argument before they got out of the church parking lot, right? But some, something could have happened. Sin could have entered their life shortly after they entered the temple. But maybe it took a week, maybe it took a month, but do you think they sinned again? Yes, but do you see that? They had to wait a whole nother year to go back with a lamb again. And can you imagine the burden? I mean, I sinned and I, I can't do anything with it. You know, I can cry out to God, but I, you know, the, the process is I have to take this lamb back to the temple mount and sacrifice that lamb again as a, as a covering for my sin. You see what it's like to live under the law? And, and that, that's the picture here of dying to the law. We don't live under that law anymore. We don't live under that regulation of our lives. See, we know, we know this, right? Was the law ever intended to save anyone? No, the law was only there to reveal our sinfulness and God's holy righteousness and our need for salvation. Do you see that? You guys with me on this? This is good news. So we're not under the law. He said we've died to the law. Now, don't worry, I'm going to explain that to you even more so because it's, I know it can be a difficult truth to understand. Now, look at this. I wanted to say this to you. That... Did sin die? No, what, what is it? We, we died to sin. Did the law die? No, we died to the law. Now, now, why is that important? Is that first you have to realize the law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law didn't have a problem. We were the ones with the problem. Right? Look at this for a minute, this verse up here. I feel like we've got a sleepy church today. Wake up. Matthew 5, 17, 19. Look at this. Do, do not think that I have come to, this is Jesus speaking, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come to, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So it sounds like the law is pretty good to me. Doesn't it sound good to you? I mean, aren't we supposed to, according to the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you? So the problem isn't with the law, brothers and sisters. The problem is with us. And that's what had to be changed, and that's why we had to die to the law. It's good, it's holy, it's righteous. So how do we die to the law? What does it say here in the text? How do we die to the law? It said through what? Through the body of Christ, right? Through the body of Christ. I mean, this is amazing, but that's the gospel here again. We have the gospel hitting us right between the eyes in that, again, we were the ones with the problem. We're the ones that needed to die. We're the ones that were covered with sin. We were the ones that were condemned under the law. We were the ones that should have been put to death, but Jesus died in our place. You have to see that. That's what the law revealed. So he came and died in our place, and then those who believe are, this word imputed, his righteousness is transferred to us, 
And you know what? The condemnation of the law is taken away. The sins are taken away. And, and then His righteousness is put inside of us. That's what the Gospel is. Amen. See, that's what happened. It was through His body, through Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do on our own to earn salvation. It's a free gift from God. So that's what it means is through His body. And look at this, it says what comes after that we, the, through his body, that what? What does it say there in verse, verse 4 that we're in? That what? You might, what does it say? You might belong to another. You see, we got remarried. We died to the law so we could be remarried to Jesus Christ. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. That's the, we, so we died to the law so that, see, we could be remarried to Jesus Christ. It's really good news. My thing's falling apart on me today. I love the pictures here, though. I mean, just think about these pictures we've been talking about for a couple weeks. One is that, you know, in our past relationship, we were slaves to sin. In our new creation, we became slaves to righteousness. But now he uses this word marriage when it comes to the law. Do you see that? Because sin, sin is evil. Sin is, sin is of Satan, but the law is of God. So he doesn't use slavery to sin. He uses marriage. A beautiful picture of marriage being married to Jesus Christ. So the bottom line here of his point is, so just like the law of marriage, when one spouse dies, the other is free to remarry. And so we have died of the law so we could be remarried to Jesus Christ. Now what's next? In order what? Everybody following along? In order that what? Thank you. My wife is helping me. In order that we might bear fruit for God. That's what it says. Isn't it interesting in the first marriage with, with Adam and Eve, he said you're married, go bear fruit, right? Multiply. A, a physical fruit he wanted them to reproduce. We're still required to do that. But now look, this is a spiritual fruit. He says, now that this is a spiritual marriage, and now he wants us to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. So let's look at this. We've just got a few more things to talk about. You're all doing great. Just look at it. I really want to dissect this a little bit, make sure you get this truth. So, so, so we're, we, we have, uh, we've been... We're dead to the law so that we could be married to Jesus Christ, that we could be one with Him, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And then he gives us, he gives us this comparison in 5 and 6. He says in 5, he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. So, Picture this with me, the realm, just let's call it the world. That's the world we lived in, right? So, before you were saved, before you were a believer, before I was a believer, I lived in the world, first of all, of the flesh. Did you not live there too? How, how about this? I mean, did your flesh demand things that you didn't want to do and you obeyed them anyway? Right? Your flesh was, your flesh had incredible power over your life when it saw things when it wanted things when it desired things whatever it was you would like a robot in slavery go out and get those things to fulfill those those desires of your flesh 
Am I the only one that did that? Are you guys, everybody with me on that? Yeah, we, we followed our flesh. Our flesh had unbelievable power over our lives. Now, it says also, you know, and by the way, we talked about that's what it means to be dead to sin, but look at this next part of this. So, so, so we know what it was like to live in the world of our flesh and control, and that's in sinful passions. I mean, how about this? I mean, I know some of you came to Christ when you were younger, but those that came to Christ later in life, sinful passions, I mean, that's what we planned. That's what we thought about. That's what we desired. That's what we dreamed about, right? Is when we're going to go out and sin again. Is anybody else with me on this? I don't care what your sin was. Those, that was where our life evolved around. I mean, look at TV today, right? Self, exactly, Ralph. Look at TV today. It's all about sexual passions, drinking. It, you know, it's all about promoting sinful passions in our life, is it not? It's all about selfishness, abundance. You know, hey, buy this, you're going to look good and be popular. Drive this and all the girls are going to want you. Drink this and, and you'll be the, the man in the bar, the woman in the bar. I mean, it's all about appealing to our selfishness and our sinful passions. Do you agree with that? Okay. Now, what's crazy about this thing, what does the next thing say? It says that the law aroused these things. How can something good, holy, and righteous like the law arouse the flesh and arouse the, the uh, sinful passions in us? How can that be? I thought the law was good. I thought the law was of God. What's that, Leon? We do the opposite, yeah. And that's a good one because why do we do the opposite? Brothers and sisters, because we were born enemies of God. We were born rebellious against God. That's our natural state at birth. We were born rebels. We're born rebellious to God. So you know what? Here, let me just give you a simple one that was in Dr. Wearsby's commentary. He, he was up in Lincoln Park, and they just painted all the benches, the park benches in the park, and they put a sign on there, wet paint, do not touch. And, and Wiersbe's, Dr. Wearsby's watching this, and everybody come up, and they'd be walking by, and they look at the bench, they see the sign, they read the sign, they'd look around. <laughs> right? Right? They, they saw the sign, that stopped them. They read the sign, then they had to bend over and touch the bench. I mean, that's a simple example of the rebellious nature that lives within us. So when, the, when we see the law, I mean, come on, for some of you guys that came to Christ later, gals came to Christ later in life, we see the law, it's like, well, that doesn't apply to me. That applies to other people. The 65 miles an hour, that's for guys that don't know how to drive. Right? But 65 is way too slow. I think it should be 75 for me. For my abilities and my skills, I should be able to drive 75 miles an hour. Simple analogy, but you know what I'm talking about. The law arouses our sinful passions. The law arouses our flesh. Because it's a natural rebellion against a holy, righteous God. We want to do it our way. We want to live life our way. And we know where it results. We know the fruit it produces, and we know that it ends in death. Not just physical death, but the really sad thing is eternal death. Okay, let's get to the, the, good, the good news here in this uh, little equation, but it says, but now by dying to what once bound us, that is the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Here it is, brothers and sisters. This is really good news. I hope you grasp this truth. 
by the way, this word serve here really is uh, bond slave. So he's saying, so, so by dying to the law, which once bound us, we're released from it, and now we can become bond slaves in a new way of the Holy Spirit. I hope your translations have a capital S there that should. To the Holy Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is really good news. Let me give you a simple analogy, and then I'll try to explain it another way. But, you know, when our kids were little, you know, we, they'd be in the kitchen, and we'd tell them not to touch. They, this is when they really couldn't communicate. They're just toddlers, and we'd tell them not to touch the hot stove. And, uh, you know, by the way, rebellious at that age, right? Because we couldn't even communicate, and they'd walk over to the stove like this as we said no, right? It's <laughs> just like the park bench. So you sometimes you have to slap their hand a little bit and say, that's no, don't touch that hot stove. But did they understand the truth of that? No, they really didn't understand it. But as our kids developed and grew, they began to understand these things and they understand the benefit of them. They understood that we loved them, we cared for them, and we're giving them training instruction to help them in life. Now, I give you that analogy because here's what happens is what he's talking about. As you can imagine, if you live under the law, you've got these lists of do's and don'ts, you got this heavy burden all the time, just like I talked about the Jews sacrificing the lamb. You're constantly in burden. You're constantly under the law. You realize you're never going to fulfill the law. You're never going to meet God's holy requirements. It's, it's burdensome, right? And it's also, I, I think if you, if you look at legalistic people, they're hopeless. They become hopeless because they realize there's no way they're going to be able to, to obey all of God's laws and, and live the life that they think they need to. It's a salvation by works. But see, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Listen to this, is that when we're born again, the reason we're not under the law anymore is because the Holy Spirit came to live within us. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and now He empowers us to live the righteous life that God calls us to. You see now, I don't have to live the righteous life. I get to live the righteous life. It's my desire of my heart. It's what my heart beats. You know, I didn't have to make myself to come out here Wednesday night to have an outreach. I couldn't wait to get out here Wednesday night. That's not the old Keith. The old Keith wouldn't want to be here on Wednesday night. The old Keith wants to worry about Keith. But I couldn't wait to. But you know what? I didn't have to look over a list. Oh, well, let's practice hospitality or, or carry out. Oh, I've got to carry out the Great Commission. I didn't need rules to tell me to do that. It's who I am now. Do you, do you get that? It's a whole different way of life. It's, it's a transformed life where the Spirit of God lives within us and you desire to obey. Do you know the difference? Do you see it? Now look at here for a minute. We'll close with this verse. This is such good news. <sighs> okay, second, we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, You yourselves are, are no letter... You yourselves are, I'm sorry, you, I knew that makes sense. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You see, that, that summarizes that truth I'm talking about. So, the life of a true believer and this will determine whether you are a true believer, is you, you come to the Word daily, 
and the Word speaks to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit interprets His Word, right? And, you know, it's a slow process. It's, God's a crockpot God. But you take these truths into your heart, you meditate on them, right? And He, he has specific truths He wants each of us working on, different ones than, than you know what I'm saying. It's not the same truth we're all working on at the same time. But He has truths that He wants us to work on, to meditate on. And see, then we get it into our heart. The truths of God are written in our heart. It's not a list I have to carry around on my day planner or on my iPhone. It's written on my heart. And see, what happens is then the natural outcome from what's written on my heart determines how I live. Do you see that? And that's what he's talking about here. And so the life of a Christian is to continue to come here day after day, week after week, and slowly let him change us by writing his truths, here it is, his laws on our hearts, and then out of our love for him and our love for the brothers and sisters and our love for the lost, we just live it out. We don't got to work it up. We just live it out because it's who we are. That's amen. That's amen. That's the life of a Christian. That gets rid of legalism. That gets rid of liberalism. It gets into all the confusion because you become a true transformed follower of Jesus Christ. You get that? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just grateful for your truths. I mean, it's so amazing. It says that your truth will set us free, and it sets, it fr sets us free in so many ways. That sin doesn't have power us over anymore. We can say no to Satan. We can say no to the world. We can say no to our flesh. Praise God for that. Father, I'm also glad that we're not under this law, this condemning, guilt-ridden law that we, we could never possibly obey. We had no power to obey it. And then by your supernatural work, you put the Holy Spirit in us so that we can live a righteous life. Amazing God. You're an amazing God. Praise you for that truth. I pray for every man and woman here that doesn't know you that they would surrender their life to you and begin this exciting life. For those that are born again, Lord, encourage them. This is, this is true for every born-again believer. We thank you for these things. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.